I mean, the question is about negativity here. versus accountability. Uh, are we as content creators <coughs> encouraging you know, people to be responsible collectors? And, and are we avoiding the negativity? It seems like some of the podcasts and YouTube shows that get the most traffic have a lot of uh, enthusiasm and uh, and uh, have points of view that are that are pretty aggressive and uh, predictions of what's going to happen, uh, which doesn't always happen. Uh, but that's the point of some of the po the hobby content creators. If there's no conflict, if there's no pushback, people don't want to listen to somebody just saying something that everybody agrees instead of take a different point of view uh, but if you're getting too much negativity and so you you have that perception that it's mm -hmm. occasionally too negative some can be sure okay so what do you do with a podcaster or a content creator I mean, sometimes you can do it through a guest or a co-host mm -hmm. but if you're on your own and you're creating content and you get on a rant i mean what, what do you do in your in the morning are you upset about something and you no, um, I'm just excited. Morning, Carfather here. It's about eight a.m. Tuesday. Guy. I, I, I just, I, I'll call out negativity when someone's doing something that harms the industry that I love, and I am not beholden to anyone. If the manufacturers, distributors, are doing something that I'm not a big fan of, I'll mention it. For the most part, I'm, I'm very positive. I um, create content that's very transparent. I believe in content that grows the greater good. Um, I literally, quote unquote, compete with other stores, but I'm basically there to help them and to help them not hit the pitfalls that so many have over the years. Better shops, bigger pie, bigger pie, bigger slice, but most importantly, just creating better gateways into the ecosystem that is our industry. And if I can help people with the experience, and show them every single day, like physically show them what we're doing and um, show my passion after owning business for 33 years and I'm just as passionate today as I was before and that can rub off on people the right way. I think that that's a great thing. And so my content, I believe is different from any of your content. I think that I'm kind of unique in the way that I've been behind a counter for 33 years. Let me show you how we built things and scale things so that you can aspire to possibly do it yourself. And I'll show you how. So I think 12, 12 easy steps. Right? 12 <laughs> easy steps. Yeah, I need 12 steps. No, but it, the, the thing is, is that you're in a position in your content creation that you've established so much credibility that you don't need to shout, you don't need to antagonize, you don't need to sensationalize, you don't need to make outrageous claims because actually what you're doing is pretty outrageous, but you're really doing it. And so you don't have to shout or or do crazy stunts. There's just a lot of noise out there, and I call a lot of guys just, not anybody in this room, but just talking heads. And it's well-produced, but it's empty, and there's agendas mm -hmm. behind it. And, um, but they think the other people are noise. They're trying to cut through that noise so that their clarity of their shouting or their... They're just trying to get hits. hits. They're it's trying to get hits. That's all they're trying to do. And if yeah. you're just... The conflict and the yelling and everything they do is all like it's it's they don't really care about the the, the purpose of the content. Of the Not everybody's goal is to be an influencer. People, some people want to educate educate themselves as well as other people, but it's not to influence other people. It's more of you know I I just tell stories 
and I learn a lot from the research I do, and you just tell a story. Uh, and you talk about uh, evergreen, it's the same thing. Yeah. You create evergreen content, and then you don't have to worry about being controversial. Yeah, but evergreen content generally has the circulation in about 10% of what the hot topics are. And what people, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's happening today. Well, it seems like lately the only thing that's getting any kind of traction is the negative news. And it just goes and goes and get, everyone makes content on it. But no one takes anything positive and puts a light on it. And then those things will get hits. Like how do we, you know, those negative things that happen, well, we need to talk about them but maybe in a different way so they can things can be fixed or get better, but we also need to put positive content out there. Content. A lot of times the negative stuff out there, you have someone negative go after it, so it's just two negative people. Just, it's, it just gets to be too much. So much noise lately. Mike Moynihan, you, you have some interesting titles to YouTube videos because you talk a lot about market trends, you and Ty. And, and so you've talked a lot, and sometimes the market trends aren't always positive, which is fine. <coughs> if it's the truth, it's the truth. So I'd like to, you know, I'd like to know how you deal with that because you're doing a lot of that type of work. We do, but we hopefully we don't take it from a negative stand. Like we're not trying to poo-poo the hobby. We love the hobby, but I, I feel as a content creator, our my goal is to either entertain, educate, or inspire. And hopefully through different avenues, different things that I'm involved with, I can do that on a whole bunch of different levels. Not all of those. In fact, a lot of it's not about getting clicks. It's not about getting views. It's because I enjoy doing it. I enjoy finding stuff. And those, ironically, are the videos I get the most compliments on from people when I see them at a show. They come up, man, I love this video. I love it when you talk to your dad or when you, you know, just random stuff that has nothing to do with hobby news. And I have a hobby news show that I do every week. And it, but it's, nobody comes up to me and says, man, I love the hobby news stuff. Is that because when you talk to your dad or you talk to other people, it's people related? And what I mean by that is I think secretly a lot of us, and this has always been true of magazines, like reading the personal stories or hearing the personal stories about people. I know Kim mentioned when I was on John Keating's show, he said, I found out all sorts of things about you I'd never heard on the other interviews you've done because John found a way to interview me that nobody else had. If we don't... John said it. I think a lot of us love to tell stories. John just did a podcast on the life of Warren Bowman. You know, telling stories and educating and, and is where I get the most joy out of content creation. It's not burning tops cards like I did two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay, we were the first one ever burned tops cards. I know. <laughs> I, I was the first one, and that created a lot of negativity. But, but you're very comfortable in your lane. John Newman, very comfortable in your lane, and so you, you know, the, these people we're complaining about don't necessarily have a lane. They want to be whatever is going to sell, yeah, or whatever has sizzle. People that yell the loudest, right? And that's true of life. This isn't just sports cards world. This is the world <laughs> that we live in. That if you yell the loudest and scream the loudest, and and everything is black and white. What I think a lot, most of us love about this hobby is how diverse it can be in terms of what people select, what people like. And what I think is lacking in the hobby by these other people that are negative is the, the respect. And what I mean by that is you can collect uh, NASCAR. Like right. I have zero interest in, in NASCAR. But I, 
if you tell me a great story and, and it's entertaining and you educate me on something, I, great. You know, I'm all for that. And I can respect what you're doing and why you love it. You know, there's, you don't put the why. Why do you hate this? Well, most people can't articulate a, an answer. They're just screaming at the wind. And that, just to get clicks. And that is, unfortunately, just what sells, you know. It's like, it's like the car wreck, you know. Everybody wants to, to watch the car wreck. Mm. Nobody wants to be in the car wreck. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just a hard balance for us to walk as content creators who try not to dwell on the negativity and create more negativity. I think negative creates more negative, right? The more negative you are, just people get all up in arms and um, there's really no place for it. Does any final comments? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> go ahead. I can go ahead on this one, but like um, the negative that I hear a lot lately in some of the groups and stuff that I'm in is every new company comes out they just want to bash them all. And I don't, I'm like, give people a chance. You know, who knows what they're gonna be able to create or fix or change. Not everyone is here on a money grab. There are people that do care, but it seems like anything new that comes out, everybody just wants to bash them and just find everything negative about them instead of saying, all right, what is their purpose? What are they doing? How can I help them? Are they doing something good? But it's, I, I haven't heard anything good about hardly any of the new companies. I mean, and I've worked for several of them and all I do is bashing them like, like Cardscore, I got bashed on that a whole bunch of times. The guy's a great guy. He's a collector. He had an idea. It's not panning out, but he tried. He put his money behind it, and I don't think, but he just got bashed, bashed, bashed everywhere by all the trolls all over the internet. Maybe the bashing is to lower the value so they can be acquired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a real air of acquisition. Mm -hmm. Not mergers, but I mean, the big fish are gobbling up the little fish, and so. Yeah. Well, I guess he's some of that, but. That's going to happen. And there's, yeah. When there's a kernel of a good idea, if somebody bashes it, they're not public stocks where you could short them. Right. Any final comments on that? Because we'll come back to that with the code of ethics. I was just going to say, talk about this concept of intent. So usually, like, what is your intent? Is it on because you love cards so much you want to talk about them? Um, and just want to just get it out there because it's inside of you and it's like the world is a better place when whatever you're passionate about you get to share with the world and everybody gets to enjoy that you're sharing with the world so get it out and so that's that's the intent that I've always like kind of tackled my blog with is if I'm thinking about it all the time then it means I should listen to those things and put them on to a blog post or a video or something and yeah there are people who their intent is just to like get the biggest viewership and tell their friends they have 40 million followers or whatever um, my intent is a little bit different than that, and some people's might have, they just, they just like talking about cards, and that's fine too. And you can usually pick out authenticity from those intent um, like uh, stances. So for example, if someone's really passionate about something, their intent is just to share, it's pretty authentic, you can tell. You can usually pick out authenticity pretty easily in those instances where if somebody just yells a lot and you screams out in the front of the hallway or whatever, yeah, you'll hear them, but it might seem a bit contrived. And so I think it comes down to, uh, uh, and, and you always have, you can always pick the content to absorb. You don't have to absorb the negativity. You can, it's, that's the beauty of it. You can pick out whatever. Don't share it. Unless, like I said, it's a training. Well, that's, that's probably enough, Thank you. enough on that. Yeah. Let's, let's go to number two, which is really number three. Uh, the third question. As a content creator, how have you helped non-traditional, uh, not just the non-traditional collectors, but the non-traditional future collectors, how have you helped them 
can come into the hobby, join so, the hobby, really join the hobby. Recently for me, I, uh, Grapevine, the city of Grapevine where I live in, has a sister city in Austria. And there was a gentleman coming over, kind of, we go back and forth because of our big festivals. And they have a big festival over there, but he was coming here and when he got here, he asked the mayor where he'd go to a card shop. Because they don't have card shops over there. And he collected when he was a kid and they had to buy a, it was really expensive to buy, but he had a whole bunch of Kobe games and he brought them with him. They, he introduced them to me and I took them to S&P. Then it, it happened to be when Kyle was having his Arlington show. Took him to the Arlington show, got his cards. I just put them off to grade today for him to get graded. When they get done, the city grandma's going to send them back. But he had, he was so excited. He got to go to his first card show. He's getting his first cards graded. He didn't have access to this stuff. And I was so happy to be a part of the experience of watching his goosebumps go through the whole thing and seeing all these people buying and selling cards and stuff he's never seen before. So I totally enjoyed that entire thing. It was very <coughs> awesome. That's cool. That's cool. I, I had a person I did not know today come up with me and was talking about the synagogue show, the Adat Havarim show, and said that's my wife's favorite show because she loved going through the Island of Misfit toy pri prizes. She also liked the fact that it was a very family-friendly atmosphere. The snack bar was very reasonably priced. And she could even leave, you know, get a rest if she needed to. And so I don't want to say she's going full-time in the hobby, but when she, all of a sudden, if she goes, the hubby says, I want to go to that show, she goes, I'm going with you. Where she probably, she wasn't coming to the Dallas Card Show. Mm -hmm. Because that's not something she's going to spend a lot of time in. But she enjoyed the more peaceful setting. So it depends on the person, but I think if you treat everybody fairly, a lot of people would be very receptive to say. Yeah, but, but what's the entry point? Is it to take them to a card shop? Is it take them to a small show? Is it take them to a big show? Is it take your some albums over to them and show them? You know, I think it's educate. different for well, every person. You have to size them up and see what their interest is? Because I, I get into like random conversations on Twitter about all this and, and they start to think about their th their childhoods and like, oh yeah, I did the whole Beanie Baby craze in the 1990s and such. And it's like, there's there's little in inlands to where people finally realize that collecting is really for everyone. We all collect something, it's just a matter of what it is. <laughs> Angela, you said, you told me earlier this weekend, you're in a, a women in a hobby or something. I am, I'm in like this like weird, DM group of like 50 women and it's very entertaining and Is that Sam Schufert's thing? I, no, I think it's a different one. <laughs> different one? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a few of them out there now. Um, That's great because this show more and more women. Oh yeah, and and it's different watching the women up. walk and then like there's like five guys following them around. The guys have know yeah. nothing it's about It's not like a rush concert anymore. No. Right. <laughs> yeah, we, have we have women on both sides of the table which is it's, it's, it's great. More and more people of color setting up behind them yeah. mm -hmm. and walking sure. around. So it's really... And there's more women to collect. When I was growing up, there was not a female on a card unless it was the Laverne and Shirley set, right? Yes. Uh, it's different now with, with basketball. Well, and I introduced you to Becca today. Yeah. So she's an example. I, I met her in Clubhouse. We found out we had a mutual friend. She lives here in town. She and uh, her father-in-law passed away and they inherited this huge collection of cards. Well, her husband didn't want to deal with it, neither did the brother or sister, so she says, I'll take it. She knew nothing about cards. It actually is a really nice collection, probably a $100,000 collection, and it's all raw except for a couple of great cards and sets, but 
she didn't know what to do. So she was looking for help and we were able to connect and I helped look through her card and she started learning how to list on eBay and then I got her today at the first card shop. She got the, I showed her how to organize, I actually showed her one of your videos about how organized you were. So when she saw you, she had to take a picture with you. Like today has been a great day for her. But she's so excited and I was actually gonna introduce her to yeah. several other people here and get her into the hobby because she's actually excited about learning about it. But, but Rob surely would not be interested in a measly I mean, you already have 40 million cards. Yeah. You don't need any more, do you? Oh, I'm a sick puppy. I just, <laughs> There's no I just, I just love buying cards. I'm like you, a total card door, Jim. Gotta got have them all. Got who, who, who dies with the most cards wins. So, <laughs> but there's, go ahead. You know, we're talking about people that we meet physically, and, mm -hmm. and our influence goes well beyond anybody we're going to meet mm -hmm. as content creators. And so the most common direct messages I get through Instagram or whatever when people give me feedback is, man, I used to be a modern guy and I, I found your podcast and I didn't even know about 53 Tops or whatever. And they go and investigate and they're like, I just love this stuff and I love. And so our, that inspiring part of being a content creator is if you just talk with enthusiasm and passion and people feel that and they go invest, a, kid, a guy did ask me today in person, he's like, I, I don't know what to do. I, I'm a modern guy, but I really want to go vintage. So just find a set you like. Find some, you know, find a player you like that you read stories about and you just think is is interesting. That's the in, that's the influence we have. Way more than the occasional face to face influence that I think we have. We have a lot more influence, and I don't mean that in a like egotistical way. I mean it in just we're just putting out stuff, and there are so many people that don't say anything. Uh, the guy today was like, I never comment, but I listen to everything and this and that. Um, we're doing that as long as you convey the passion, as long as you talk about it. And, and people are, that's how you bring people into the hobby. Whether or not they end up being a vintage collector or not. Uh, it's very rare that they come in as a vintage. Ryan Nolan. They graduate. one of the first. You graduate. They usually come in with the, the new cards. That's what's being marketed. We all do, though. I'm saying that's I the norm. In the, in the but 80s. then you're you're giving them a, an approach and. Uh, Ryan also had a head start. He well, had his dad. He had his dad, and, but Ryan has a couple of friends. I I saw them at the show because Ryan's at the non-sports show in Philly this weekend, yeah. the yeah. national. And the kids were, and when I say kids, they're about his age, and they were all excited about the uh, sports kings, Jimmy Fox or Lefty Grover, or whatever. I'm, I'm just making. Or a 27 Lefty Grove exhibit, or something like that, mm. and a 27 exhibit Fox, and I think. A, okay. You know, but they were excited about what they had picked up, and granted, it's the names. They're not going. They probably won't finish the set, but they were excited about getting names of the great cards of the past, and they have the same passion Ryan does. Well, it came from Ryan's. Passion. It came from Ryan's passion. So he's influenced a bunch of people his age. There was a kid, I don't know if you saw him, but his, he and his dad, who's no longer with us, used to do my show. And casually in conversation, and you, you, you heard that he played play, He's finished, oh, oh, I just finished my 39 to 41 play ball run. And he Ooh. says he needs about 25, 52 high numbers to complete that. He has Mantle, he has Campy, and he has Robinson. He, he needs Matthews and a few others. But he's excited about, you know, he sold his dupe. He's still working on his collection. We can be infectious if we want to be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have the power to be that. And when you hear that, it's pretty hard to be blasé, isn't it? Ho-hum. He, cool. he was more ho-hum about what he had completed than I was. I was like, 
We just dropped that in a conversation. Holy cow, you know, when you and I were in the 70s, we could do things like that. Today, hearing somebody complete a Gaudi set? Piggybacking <laughs> off what Mike said, too, I, I, I assume you never know who's listening for the first time who's contemplating getting into the hobby and what podcast we're going to pick. How do I know that? Because people told me, I listened to your show, I was on the fence, I wanted to learn more. So I don't assume everyone that listens to my content knows always what exactly what I'm talking about. So I, I try to think that someone could be listening for the first time that's either thinking about getting in the hobby or just already started and those waters can be scary for them. So I try to be as informative uh, for those folks as, as I can. And uh, you know, I've always said on the show, you know, my phone number's there. You can call or text me any questions. And they're no experts, but I've done it for 37 years. I've learned a, a couple of things. What's that number again? Brad, what did you say when you came back to the hobby, one of the first podcasts you heard was John's? Yeah, yeah. And I, I just started listening and listening and the first vintage podcast that I started listening to was Mike's and now I can't not listen and I eagerly listen wait eagerly wait each episode of Mike. Thank you. It just it that listening and, and learning uh, is just so important. I mean I I was just literally before we walked into this room had a gentleman come up to me and he his his father passed, my father just passed. He broke his foot, I broke my foot. He, I mean, it was, it was so touching. He says, I, I, was in a, I was in a medical state and you helped me through that state through your videos. Oh my gosh. I mean, my heart just, my heart felt full because of that, that ability. So I think, I think we really need to, to, as we produce and create, we need we need to make sure that everybody knows it's with full heart, full intention, with positive, so that you just you just show light, you just show light, and if you if you do that, it'll be people will gravitate, people people will actually want to know more and reach out. I think every single parent that brings a child. I thank mom, I thank dad. Thank you for bringing them. Thank you for bringing them. And I, each time I keep getting, well, I used to collect cards and that from dads and moms. I used to collect cards and now they're into it and they're bringing, they're, you know, bringing them back in. You're building building a little bit stronger bond within family units, within, within communities. So just, Remember the small stuff. We're talking about the positives here, but Angela, were you thinking about that there's some, this is not a random sample, there's some excellent uh, content creators here, but are there some that are turnoffs or they're dismissive or, you know, I mean, I have my favorites and I have my least favorites. Are there some that are doing things wrong though, that are not welcoming? Is there a way no. that we should Who avoid? Decides, though, yeah, it, it's I'm all personal preference. Like, I, I listen to a multitude of things because I like podcasts that even are, uh, disagree with <coughs> what I think things should be like. So hearing the entire uh, world view, so to speak, is, is, is a wonderful thing to me. 
Well, so, and the reason I posed this question was that, you know, my, my goddaughter, um, it w had only really only ever collected Pokemon, but because of uh, some family happenings, we've traveled more often to Ohio than normal, and um, she's been a lifelong skater. So we picked her up a few of the Olympic skater sets, and she's actually met some of these people in person, and has used these cards to have them sign in person. And it's kind of grown her into a people that she's met collection, which is more than nothing. Very so, but uh, you know, for a seventeen-year-old girl to have an ice skating collection, it's, it's a start. But you didn't tell her, hey, you're doing it wrong. No, no. I found something she liked. Yeah, encouraged. And she liked ripping them open, so. Well, you know that uh, NASCAR radio, we primarily, up until the fall, were just doing NASCAR. We didn't do anything F1, some Indy, you know, but uh, we started <coughs> including F1. And, uh, and we did it because of the popularity. We wanted to see some cross-pollination between NASCAR and Formula One and, you know, and get each side, you know, educated. And uh, from that, we, you know, and not that we didn't do it to increase our numbers or anything, but since we've done that, our numbers uh, have actually, our followers have increased exponentially. We've, uh, like I said, we've cross-pollinated and uh, we've learned a lot and we think we've, we've helped a lot of people, you know, learn both ways. One thing that's worked for me is that someone will send an email to us or me. This happens to me all the time, not all the time, frequently. And <clears throat> I'll turn that email into a, uh, a blog post because when you submit an email through my contact us page, I say, you know, your, your, your message is uh, consent to allow us to use it in any media. So I, I turn that into a blog post so other people can also benefit from the knowledge that I would otherwise just be drafting to send as an email. That turns into like, it's now shared for everybody. So that's been beneficial for both the people sending me email and just other users being, oh, I didn't know about that random Babe Ruth Broder from the early 90s with the sparkle whatever and so someone might have thought that they were digging through whatever and they found this card and they were like hey is it worth anything well and I kind of go through the background of the Broders and they talk about the rarity and why it's you know not it might be rare but it's not that valuable and I talk about that it's just been kind of a cool thing to like add back to there's a bunch of different ways to be turn people on to this information um, and and one of them is just to you know you just answer questions you know simple questions just be there for them to answer to give them answers think to piggyback on that so much of my content is based on what happened yesterday in the shop and just situations that'll come up and and just explaining it because people come at me very little content out there is from the hobby shop perspective day-to-day -day operations mm -hmm. of running a store and I think my content's kind of unique to that and how difficult it is to deal with expectations from the consumer on all levels because no two people are alike in what they're looking for and as a retailer, your job is to say yes as often as possible to as many different questions as possible. And how do you do that? And we try to explain the different ways that we do that um, and the ways we provide liquidity. Very few stores you walk into with a black box of cards, they're willing to sit there, go through the cards, comp the cards, pay cash, whatever it happens to be. And, but you're dealing with expectations of somebody. And it's hard. Retail in this business is brutally hard. That's why I'm there three hours before we open. And I think it's cathartic for me to talk about these things and not ramble and rant so much, but just explain to people that it's a unique job in being in this business. And I come from a background, Jim will tell you, I used to travel the country doing seminars for Tops, Upper Deck, Beckett, 
And that was taken away from me years ago. I haven't done it. But this was like, oh my God, it's kind of like doing that again. And our Instagram followings up to like 34,000 people that actually want to hear my message. Because I'm not just yelling, ranting, screaming, telling you what's next. I've never pushed any card on anybody before. I've never recommended anything before. But I think people really want to hear the experiences from people that do this full time. And if they're thinking about getting into the industry, maybe my content will help them. Like we do these different things on how we do our showcases. Guy was in the store yesterday. He's like, I've followed you for a year and a half. I cannot believe the differences from listening to what you do and how it drives traffic to my storefront. And that means a lot to me. Yeah. Last part of this. I mean, you, you mentioned, Angela, the women of the hobby. Yes. But I'm not aware of any international uh, Asians of the hobby or uh, you know, African Americans of the hobby. Is there any need for that? Or is that just assumed that it's, a, it's an experience that men have and women have a different experience? Or I saw one in the elevator today, hours ago, a guy from South Korea. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a South Korea. There's a couple of them. There's a couple of them. But he doesn't need to band together necessarily. No, no. no. And I talked to him. I said, well, what are you into? KBO? He's like, oh, basketball, football, soccer, mm -hmm. which is great, right? Well, That's the industry right now is great. You have cash, you can buy cards. Right. You have cards, you can turn them into different cards. Um, previously, like <coughs> early on, it seemed that males did not want to necessarily sell cards to women that's not the case right now i sit at s&p all the time at the card trip over here i think you've been over there right and you watch people come in with boxes of boxes of stuff that they just found and they don't know what it is and a lot of the card shops are like get that junk out of here but sean and scott have always like took their time and tried to explain it look through the box with them yeah. and tried to engage and tell them something about it. They might not buy this stuff, but they don't just say, get it out of here. And I've been a lot of shops where they just want to cut you off. They, they're trying to engage. They might uh, have more tolerance or more patience for a woman bringing in junk weapons. Definitely. Yeah, or like, uh, yeah. a person of color. Yeah. Yeah. So Perhaps. Let me ask you a question. Perhaps. Here, Rob, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but there's a lot of bros in your shop. You'd be amazed. <laughs> I thought I'm talking about behind the counter. Yeah. What are, what are we doing about that? Yeah. What do you mean bros? It, it seems like you have an all-male staff. Am I wrong or not? Uh, I mean, there's room for that, right? In shops, too. I, I love to have a woman yeah. in the store. You don't get... I don't get... No, there are not very many qualified But I'll tell you something. Right. They're coming more prevalent, Stay however... Stay 50 it, employees. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the key yeah. right there. But you yeah. can never assume a woman in your store mm -hmm. isn't the collector. And back in the day, right. they would sit in the car and wait mm -hmm. for the husband to come back out and call them, where are you? Yeah. Now they're in my store. Now they're right. looking mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, you need to sell mom. Once mom's on board, mm -hmm. everything else falls into place. And uh, you have a clean, well-lit store. You treat their kids with respect. And you never assume that they're not the collector. <laughs> That's huge. That's huge. I've seen Rob buy junk from people and explain, oh, this really isn't worth much, but I'll give you $12 for Yes. <laughs> I saw that last month. Yeah. The 84 tops, and it was like a... A mouse chewed through Duke Snyder, 63, whatever. Well, we see more liquidity, more understanding. It's it's a two-way market. It's not selling, you know, microwaves. We're dealing with something that has value. And the more of us that tell you that it doesn't have value or I don't want it, it's just a negative thing that we that's don't need in the industry. That's the turn. That's the final turn off. Okay, let's 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 move to the next one. This next one is about charitable involvement, either 
that we might promote on our podcast or do personally or, you know, the pay it forward kinds of things, not just for expanding the industry, but you know, doing good. You know, it's, it's good for business in some respects. Rich has a, has a, has a, sh- a show that benefits his uh, synagogue. There's a lot of dealers that give back in certain ways that sponsor little league teams or things like that. Um, so what? who's, who's uh, jumping out on that? I, that's kind of my personal life. I, I, I do things, but I don't do it in the name of, of I, I guess I did stuff with Beckett Publications, but not a lot. We had matching, I, I think we had some matching gifts. You know, if somebody wanted to make a donation, we'd, we'd match it. But there's not like a non-profit that we all kind of get behind in the hobby. Me personally, we have a, a children's hospital in Syracuse called Galasanos. And uh, so I will bring uh, cards up there uh, sometimes. Sometimes they'll tell, or I'll call them, and they'll be like, hey, we still have some from last time. Can you wait a little bit? But I like to, you know, give, give back that way. I know we've done, uh, I've done giveaways on social media where uh, I'm a big Make-A-Wish guy, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. So, you know, don't donate a dollar or more to make a wish and you'll be entered to win this prize, this card. So we're not talking about random acts of kindness, we're talking about intentional acts of kindness. Well I do those, I do both. I'm I'm just saying though, it's, it's, Rich and I have done a lot of tributes, but most of them, not all, but most of them have been people that are older than us. Right, and we want to the families doing okay, but if, 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 the, the wounded warriors or people, you know, when, when something happens to the, the, the breadwinner in a family, then the, the rest of it. And, and sometimes the charities do things like Kin, uh, including uh, a podcast, a webcaster many of us listen to about this guy's local goodwill having basically a pallet of cards for sale at X dollars, but he's now bought two pallets. Did you let him know because you thought it was a charitable thing or did you let him know because you thought it'd be fun for his content or was it a mix thereof? Uh, no, that was more just for Bo because it was literally in his city and I'd seen it. And for some of us that live locally, Leon Lucky, who runs the Net 54 Vintage Message Board, does a dinner at most nationals. And when he does, it's a suggested donation to, I'm going to call it a pet charity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's like $5 and then you can, you know, get... Eat all your pizza and get your soda. If you want drinks, you get maybe one drink coupon and then you have to pay for the rest. If you want a beer, you know. So, but I mean, so there's a lot of people out there who do a lot of things, some more public than others. Aside from Rich's uh, synagogue shows, um, in addition to Six for Soldiers, which uh, we supported since we found out about them, um, we've uh, long supported uh, Toys for Tots. Um, when I was in, living on Okinawa, they had actually supported. So, because Christmas can be a lonely time, for, especially for single uh, Marines and Navy and uh, the, the military in general, they would pair up a local, um, a, a, a local uh, with the orphanages with a Marine or a Navy sailman, and it would give them something to do together. So they would get each other a gift, but. On a more local level, you know, I've dropped off, in addition to water bottles and Barbies, I've also dropped off an occasional blaster of cards. Maybe a kid finds it and brings them some joy on Christmas. 
listening to this, my brain is just going, just firing on idea after idea after idea. We did a thing called Cards for Kids. Every holiday, we would find six, seven, eight places that had gift stores. We would deliver them cards. And because we had a lot of employees that had extra cards, they didn't know what to want to keep them. You know, and so we gave away, I think in this, and I usually shepherded most of the project, we gave away 750,000 cards in six years. You know, and then eventually, you know, the hobby died down a little and they didn't want the cards anymore, but I don't want the cards again, especially if they're the new, happy, shiny base cards. Kids are probably thrilled with that. You know, we say, well, it's not a hit. The kids say, it's a Steph Curry base, you know, they don't know if it's a Steph Curry base card. It's a Steph Curry card. It's a Luca card. It's a uh, Kyler Murray card. You know, Kyler Murray's, you know, in this town, you know, grew up in this town. They'd, they'd be thrilled with this. They, we can still help charities do things like that and be the facilitator to get them some more help, too. I mean, basically, it needs to be authentic. And I think if you're encouraging your listeners to helping them to be aware of something they weren't aware of that you're personally standing behind or involved with, I think that's, that's authentic. Okay. And it's winsome. But if it's like, hey, we're all going to do this, and I have no idea what they're going to do with all these cards, but we're just send them down there, and you're going to get a write-off and all that, it's, no, it's, it's not, not going to ring true. Put a link on there. But, but, some, but some of it is a write-off. I, I do tell people it's a write-off because it, it's good for them. But not everybody wants to use the write-off. Some people just do it from they want to help the community, and that's wonderful. I think it just comes down to finding something that's meaningful to you, like that that that, that rings to you. Like for me, it's ASPCA. Like I'm a big dog fan, and so I, when I, I I wish I could have them all and you know, take care of them all, but I can't. So the one thing that you know I always think about is how do we help and dogs because they they need our help, and so. There are many countless ways to do this, right? When I lived in L.A., I used to donate cards to Mattel Children's Hospital every year. I'd get into, like, so much stuff, just give it to them. i walk up there and hand it off to them, in a, like, in person. And it was, it just felt like, you know, if you're sick in the hospital, like, there's nothing really going on during the holidays. It might be cool to go through a box of cards, take your mind off of what you're going through, you know? Things like that. I mean, there's infinite ways to give back to the community. But, you know, whatever rings to you. Virgilio modeled the right one that somebody is a champion of this. Somebody really makes it happen, gives of themselves, and enlists their friends, rather than being kind of fractionalized and all over the place. One person says, ah, this is my key thing. When it comes to that stuff, you can never do enough. When I was working at Beckett, one of the biggest charities we supported as a company was the Salvation Army. I think it was used to be 7% of their income goes to, we'll call it, organization needs. That's a Exemplary organization, but a lot of times those statistics, it's not that they're lying, but the bigger organizations can have less overhead as a proportion. Salvation Army is really big. Some of these very small situations, they're, they're, they're going to have a bigger percentage that goes towards fundraising because they can need to work out. But I, full disclosure, I was on the board of Salvation Army. <laughs> and I appreciated the dinner every, uh, every Christmas. Yeah, okay. We'll leave it at that. Okay, let's let's go to the next one. This is about just whether there could be or should be a code of ethics. If so, is it enforceable? And if so, by whom? Whom is the correct word? 
Okay. I think it's keeping worms. Okay, I, I, I have one more. <laughs> Does content creator include breakers? No. It's content gray area there. So they're overtly selling something. Oh. So you can't have a code of conduct that says you can't promote what you're selling. That's the first blank that this person was suggesting you can't tout what you have. And it's a great deal. Of course it's a great deal. They're in sales. No, but part of the thing that's going on with breaking is sometimes people don't like what they see in the breaks. And because you're doing content creating in that level, the question is, is that considered part of content creating and part of breaking if you hear about somebody who pulls some card and then says, no, we're not going to give it to you. Look, in every other industry, <laughs> in every other industry, in every other part of life, if someone pulled that, there's no way you're telling me that we would continue to keep going back. I don't understand why that happens in our hobby. This is, I'm sorry, this is a hot button for me. Continuously. <laughs> well, why do we keep going back so that would be uh, well, that's really easy on right? the code of ethics <coughs> yeah. well the, the people that go back are the new people new they people. don't they don't know they just whatever comes up at the top of the you know it's the addiction of, of but they're relatively new to the hobby they're not sure, but they've been the around same. for 20 years I don't they don't reset certain breakers don't reset every week with a whole new audience it's the same people it's not just the breakers it's the brands hobby. too there's, there's there's different brands as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. For it sure. Circulates. Yeah. And well, and I'm cool with all the breakers. There's different styles. Maybe not all the styles are not my style. Right. But the hiding of cards and all that stuff that's that's a no go. No matter who you are, I might not like everyone's style. Somebody's too slow. Somebody's too loud. Too somebody crazy. Well, everyone wants to watch a different movie, okay. right? But actually doing it correctly with you know. The ethics behind it, doing it right, is what matters. And how do you govern that? I don't know. When it goes wrong, well, the, how yeah. do you make it go away? It, 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 it may be criminal, not ethical. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It is. If you hide a card and it doesn't go hit right through the lungs, I don't know you have to prove where it. you're Pay from, switch. but where I'm from, that's called stealing. <laughs> so let me play the heel here, shocker. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the original yeah. question, no. Because number one, you can't legislate morality. There's just no way about it. If you're in the breaking situation that we're talking about, if you see this happen and you choose to still go break with them, I don't feel for you. There is a level of self-accountability still to this. And this goes back to the very first topic that we talked on that was very popular, so I didn't get my opinion in. There are some people that are considered negative, some content creators that many people say that those people are very negative, and I think you all know who I'm thinking of. But those people speak truths that other people don't want to talk about. They're still bringing up certain scandals from three to four years ago that these new people don't know about if nobody else is bringing them up. Oh yeah, the Juan Soto Super Fracker. Well, you know what, I think that there's, <laughs> there, there's one of them right there. <laughs> I think it's the delivery that'll probably help bring better just on how, that, how it's delivered. So there's a style guide with the code of ethics. <laughs> well, I'm saying that to get people's attention or to pay attention to it and, and digest that information, I think delivery and who delivers it and how they deliver it. Like, because, yes, it needs to be called out, but I've seen people beat it up where you're just like, you just, I don't want to watch another negative person beat something up. I want to know that this happens, but it needs to, I don't know, I think it could just be delivered better.
I think it just comes down to caveat emptor, right? Like buyer beware. Yeah. Like you, you consume what you want to consume or don't consume what you want to yeah. do. If you want to put yourself in a risky situation multiple times over and over and over again, then the rest of us don't really have any obligation to feel sorry for you when you keep breaking your leg every single time. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if you want to get into like the nitty gritty of something like a, an ethics council, I don't think it would be wise to try to regulate it, but you might say, here, here's some best practices, take them or leave them. And those people who are auth authentic and they're ethical, they might and, and you know, try to like work in their own version of regulations that they follow and abide by to make sure that they're doing the best thing they can for their consumer. Well, what are we going to do to those people that buy? I mean, you just, you just, no, you just don't buy from them. You just don't buy from them. You know, but, but, but people are still buying. Yeah, and I'm about to say, but that's on them. That's on them, though. Yeah. A lot of those people don't know those things happen. Yeah. They'll learn when they get burned one time. And that's why I'm saying no, like you said, they get to do, you know, they learn on their own. Yeah, they learn on their own. You and I are on the same page. You like, like the best thing you can do is leave people alone so they can make their own mistakes. And then if they have to make their own mistakes a couple more times over, then you have to just let them do that. Yeah, that's just, that's just part of life. Like, yeah, that's the thing. And just let them, let them make those decisions. Don't regulate that. Let them figure it out for themselves, you know? One thing you said to me one time, and it, it's not probably the exact words you said it to me, but it's the, the, the beauty and the clunkiness of this hobby, right? That's kind of part of it, that it's not governed, and it's, it's not as easy as it could be and all that stuff. And there's a learning curve to it, but that's part of the beauty of it as well, right? Some of the onus falls on platforms that allow this activity to happen, and by not, by keeping that person that commits those acts on the platform is guilty by association or condoning it. If a breaker does something like that, we're talking about breakers, I don't want to sound like I'm singing them out, but that's kind of where our focus is. If they're direct with Panini, Tops Fanatics upper deck, and they become aware of it, they should say, you don't get any stuff from us after we, we, heard, we saw this. There's video evidence. Whatever time limit, they, you know, you're suspended two years, five years, indefinitely. Reapply later on and we'll, we'll readdress it. Or you can go on their show. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that became, a, that became another issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's interesting is we spend, we spend 10 seconds. Get, I, I'm a, I, I almost know. wanted to bite the hook. I'm not going to do it. It took us 10 <laughs> seconds to say breakers weren't content creators, and it took us 10 minutes to, to debate about content, about breakers. I just, <laughs> right. Now, the irony is the opposite of a code of ethics. Like, the people I know in this room, like Logan with NASCAR, Ken with his uh, IndyCar, Stefan with his twins, Mike with his vintage, me with my 70 stuff, we're promoting competition for stuff that we're trying to, to, to acquire, which is ludicrous. Mm -hmm. But we do it because of the, we're, we're the antithesis of, of uh, ethic questionability. Makes no sense. I'm going to tell somebody, I'm going after this, a Jackie Robinson, all of a sudden everybody knows John Newman's going after Jackie Robinson. <laughs> probably driving the price up. Same That's way. been happening to me for years. You know I mean? Years <laughs> and years and years. Don't have to worry about anybody in the room with that stuff, but it's it's interesting that we're talking the, the irony that we're talking about ethics when we're the ones that are uh, promoting our own competition for stuff the, that we collect. The first time I ever met Patrick in person is when he and his mom came to my show. <laughs> mom makes really good cookies and desserts, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I see Jim. I'm giving away all the secrets right yes. now, right? Uh, <laughs> and you didn't buy one Frank Thomas card at the show, and yet there were. We found out there were four different Frank Thomas collectors that weekend at the show, all of whom were like bowing down at your shrine. <laughs> like, this is the guy. Patrick's in the show. 
oh, he's he's the Frank Thomas guy. I'm just a you know little guy compared to him. You know, so and yet they knew that you were promoting Frank Thomas stuff that you might not even have that you just thought was cool. Yeah, I just talk about it because I like it. Like I know it's not, I've talked about things I still need just because it's like fun for me to talk about that stuff. I talked about mirror golds, everybody loves those. And I, I, just, don't, I just don't have the Frank Thomas. Here I'm on record right now saying it. Someone's gonna say, Patrick doesn't have those. <laughs> no, the whole deal is that what we're talking about is Patrick is acting more like a media person than a salesperson. You know, if we're acting more like media people, we're we're supposed to be like Walter Cronkite or something, reporting the news. Or reporting the news. Whereas if you're a breaker, you're in sales. You're you're going to have some verbiage, mm -hmm. but it's sell copy for your own stuff. And we can't expect them to not be like that. When you're doing your uh, Instagram and YouTube tube stuff, I mean, it, it's perfectly okay for you to promote what you have and what you want to sell. What about something in the middle? I think that the can of worms comment at the very beginning, Jim, was accurate. The code of ethics, how do you enforce it? Impossible. Try to legislate or control morality. I wouldn't want to control any of that. That's no, like no, it's no. like the what free market. It's that's part of what sure. makes it what so awesome. A, and I'm gonna use Dr. Beckett as an example, but it, if you know, you're doing it right and you're endorsed by a committee that has decided that this person does it correctly not necessarily uh, an advocate but just a hey we've watched them we a committee that watches and goes okay these people do it right they're endorsed by XYZ you can still as a consumer decide to not use a breaker or watch content that's not endorsed by so-and-so but it's just such a slippery slope right of <coughs> trying to decide who makes those rules and why am I if I made the rules, why would I be any better at making them than, than John Newman or, or whomever else? And what makes you qualified to make the rules? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nothing, washers. by the way, would <laughs> make me qualified. But the, the slippery slope lands in the courtroom. Because if Panini or Tops or Upper Deck were to cut off a certain breaker or a certain dealer, it, it, there's, there, there could be legal recourse there. Why? Because they have a right to sell whoever they want. Don't they they? They, can, they can they can disallow somebody's business for no reason, but not for a reason. Uh, 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 what they think if they articulate what the reason is, then they have to prove that. As soon as you say what you're alleging with some specificity, then they can they can oh, well that's not right. So they can say tie you up. So they can say what didn't happen on July 19th. Exactly. Yeah. As soon as you play it. So, so, guys, we're playing with enough money here that, that people will fight for it. These breakers, their business would be threatened if, if this certain breaker, and they have mm -hmm. lots of followers because they're outrageous. And, you know, when you think about it, because it's happened when the, uh, when the, uh, the Pokemon case was discovered to be G.I. Mm -hmm. Joe, but <laughs> think of the publicity and this negativity just from the original Trevor Lawrence thing. And the people don't forget that, of the people that are in the know. But they're now known as the people that did that. Well, it, it Barry Halper tried to do something like this. I think oh. it was in the late 70s. Late 70s, 78. Was it? Yeah. And, you and they want me to be involved in that too. <laughs> yes, yes, you were. Yes, you were definitely a part of it. something up. It, it, it didn't. It's. It's just. 
and and Barry Halper being a part owner of the Yankees passed away now, but but you know he he, he had his hands full. He wasn't going to touch this. I mean, he wanted to be a, a, a motivating factor in it, but he didn't want to get sued. He didn't want to make the call either. What I and now we find out that some of his stuff, for whatever reason, was not was not all legit as well. What I find interesting is almost every other hobby has an American Stamp Dealers Association, yeah. American Numismatic Association, yeah. uh, American Philatelist Society. You know, there's always been groups that, that self-regulate within their groups. As far as I know, we're one of the rare hobbies that has never had a group even try. I mean, we've had a, even That's in the what 90s. was being tried. And then we tried in the 90s with NASDAQ and SCDA. SCAI, SCDA. We tried it again in the 90s, and it didn't work. Why? Nobody got behind it? Any benefit would have been long-term. Why not this? Why not at the micro level? Like, why does everything have to be considered full group? It could just be like among ten people that are friends who are just who are friends who are just like want to, you know, talk with each other about how best to manage each other's businesses. Like, hey, I'm doing this. Has have you found success there? Like, and you guys just work off each other. You know, and because I, I can't find big generalizations and make them accurate most of the time. The only generalization that's accurate is saying all generalizations are inaccurate, right? And so it's like in this in this case, you could say that. Among my friends, we all kind of like talk about what's working and we kind of share strategies to help each other become better at whatever we're doing. That at like, and over like chicken nuggets or something, you know, very simple at the micro level. That's really been helpful for me. And maybe some other people in this room have also have had similar um, fondness with their friends in, in those conversations. Yeah, I think so. I'd like to think so. When you proceed to be bad actors. I try to associate with quality people. I mean, I, 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 I do it my best anyway. Good actors, bench clear media, is the sum of the parts greater than the whole with bench clear media. Yes. That was a wonderful idea. Yes. But I don't think you've had as much synergy as you originally thought. But each person involved has, has benefited from the collegiality. But it's not like there's this huge network. No. It didn't go the way we expected it to yeah. or hoped it would, but I have, I would say, I would still call it a success at this point. Relationally, and for sure. Relationally, no doubt. And to circle back to the comment about, like, the, in the 90s why it didn't work, in the price guide department we had a saying, everybody wants everybody's, uh, you know, distribution to be limited, except for their own store. Yep. Mm -hmm. sure. mm -hmm. And Clear so didn't work the way we expected it to because everybody wants their content creation. They think that they have some unique, specialized thing that is better on its own. See, I vehemently disagree, but uh, you know, we all we're also protective of our own. But you have your own code of ethics. If they came into that, we did so, actually. I, I know. I'm saying that that would be deterrent. People say, wait a minute, somebody else is going to be in my business telling me what I can and can't do. And that's... And they don't like that. They don't. And, and but they don't see the benefit of that. There, there's some benefit to that, too, in terms of guiding and helping and... Safety and, and you've done Hobby Blues in the last two years, and you may have... Are, are we going to have one this year again? Uh, breaking news, we are going to have a Hobby Blues again this year. So yes. And so you're dealing with a lot of entities there. 
that aren't necessarily part of even nuclear media. We are one shots of none of them are, as a matter of fact. But that the idea of that was to bring the hobby together, right? It's cooperative. It's cooperative. We originally thought we're going to do hobby blues on bench clear. Everybody said I won't do it if, if I can't do it on my own channel, and I said, why not? What does that matter? And it is because we wanted some control over it in terms of who we let in the door, so to speak, as, as Dr. Beckett was referring to. And we, we found common ground that I said, okay, then I'm going to select the people that I want to be part of it. We got lots more requests than for people, hey, I want to do it. Sorry. Is it bigger and better this year? Is it new one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it always trying to get more closer? We'll see in my industry. We have we have what's called circle of influence, where I'm in tech sales. Well, I don't do cyber insurance, so I will find somebody who who is like minded with cyber insurance. I'm looking, you know, I, there's uh, multiple mobile facets, but there's in my sales business world, I go find people that I don't have a, a, a business relationship or, or and or. If I if they sell, it doesn't conflict with what I do, and I build those relationships. So I'm gonna have just for an example. I've, there's five guys that are that are together. We each do different things. Well, we've got three already collectively that have said yes. If I if 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 we get somebody that has to do X, I am going to refer them to. Patrick. Patrick then in turn refers to me and we're going to put it on a piece of paper and all of us have one particular here. Uh, you have X problem, there's, there's the guy. It's completely out of trying to do the best thing for the consumer. So that's I, I, so we go into that. Well, and it blows my mind. Well, we, we have Kyle here. What if there was an associate uh, association of show promoters that wanted to tell you, invite you into the association so they could tell you how to run your show? <laughs> <laughs> and how you have too many tables. Kyle would love that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the breakers wouldn't like it. Dealers wouldn't like it. Promoters wouldn't like it. You know, well, when I was able to bring back the synagogue show, the first person I spoke to was Kyle. And because he's running such good shows in the area, I'm not, I don't want to do a monthly show again, but I wanted to talk to him to make sure it's not an issue yeah. to do the synagogue. And he goes, no, go right ahead. In fact, he'll be, he'll be there next week. But, but the point was, that's, that's a personal code of ethics too. You know, you don't want to step on somebody's toes. If professional you're, courtesy. A professional courtesy. All the bringing pop-up. I mean, and actually just buy a table through somebody else, which is fine. I, I love it, but it's like there's so many of them now that it just and it's like, how do you how do you know that it's trustworthy? That it's, it's it's a trustworthy business. So we've had a little bit of an issue with that. So we're, we're working through it. We have time for one more question. What do you want your legacy to be as a content creator, Mike? Once you motivate it and get started, <laughs> of what do you want? Nice. To be? Well, I'm saying you 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 have a deeper meaning there. I mean, you're. You're, well, you have you have really defined your lane really well, and you're an ambassador for that part of the hobby. Well, being a content creator for YouTube for nine years, I think about not just 
because we all think about what do you want to do with your collection someday? What's the leg? What are you going to do? I get people asking me that are outside of the hobby, why are you doing all this? Like, what's the end game with that? As a content creator, I've started to think about that as well. What's the legacy I want to leave? Because hopefully content will be around long after I am, potentially. Um, and what, when, when, I'm, when Mike Moynihan is gone, what will they say about him in the hobby? And I hope it's positive. I hope it's, he helped me with this, or he was super hospitable in this situation, or whatever. And he, I, I want it to just be positive. I want it to be something that Why are you worried it'd be negative? Look, no matter who you are or how nice of it, like, again, when you're in content creation, you're, you're putting out a, a slice of you. That slice, there's a lot more to you than that slice, typically. They don't see my entire life and what I do. The conversations I have with many in this room privately and just the texts I get randomly from people or direct messages that I help people. And that's fine. I'm not, I don't want any kudos for that or anything. I just, I'm just i going to be me. And as long as I'm authentic, hopefully that comes across and that helps someone or influences someone or I don't know. It's uh, I want there to be a legacy of positivity for the hobby. The hobby's better off because Mike Moynihan was in it. That's, at the end of the day, I, I want that to be said. There will be some that say, no matter what I do, I can cure cancer or solve all the breaker problems, and some people would still say Mike was a jerk. But I want the people that I care about, what they I care about what John Newman thinks about me. I don't care about random Joe out in the street that doesn't know me or anything. Rob Verus, you've been doing content creation in different forms for 25 or more years. Right. So you have, with, with a couple of exceptions, more experience than anybody else in this room in content creation. I'd say that. And then some. And then some. Because it's every single day. Yes. Um, we're creating some kind of content. Is your legacy Ryan? Yes. That's a great point. Uh, my son just turned 27. Ryan, he runs my business. Um, He's doing a great job. I, you know, it's... It's not. It's one of those taboo subjects. I think in the industry, talking about succession plans and what happens when someone of a certain age gets sick or passes on. What happens with their inventory? And a lot of times, they just go out of business. The wife's forced to do things, whatever. And my son really is my legacy, but um, he's he's absolutely amazing. Um, How proud is your dad too? Oh yeah, my dad, dad has two dads. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a real blessing for sure. But I think. As an educator, more so than a retailer, um, I think I'd like my legacy to be uh, someone that taught how to run a business where um, just was, was open, was wrote for Beckett, wrote for Krause, wrote for Card Trade, seminars everywhere, now for the last two years being the card father um, and speaking truths and um, leaving the hobby in a better place at the end of the day. And I try to explain to people that there's really no shortcuts. But I'll show you what we do all the time. You want to come in my store? I will take you on a tour of our warehouse. I will show you every aspect of what we do in the store. And if you can take something from that, and you can make something of that with your own, then I want that to be my legacy, that I sprinkled some dust across the industry and made it a little bit better place. Actually, I don't want to get that Italian restaurant. Yeah. That's <laughs> my downfall. Mr. John, do you think about yeah. this? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, every time you turn the mic on, 
you, you're leaving legacy, right? Those things will always be available when I'm not around, I'm assuming or hope so, right? So passionate, I think uh, I, I try to think of what other people, rather than help myself, right? I call it passionate, genuine, caring, informative, uh, willing to help people. You know, like I said, my phone number, that's a personal cell phone number, call or text. Um, got a lot more car warranty calls but uh, you know just be yourself right like my grandfather said if you be yourself you don't have to pretend to be anyone else Dr. Beckett Rich Klein I mean y'all's influence in the hobby will go well beyond you hopefully that's not for a long time but I mean I hope you're proud of what you've done for the hobby and and we all yeah. I'm still on it, and, uh, it was, you, know. and you know, we had maybe it's three years ago now when we had the dinners at your house. Yeah, yeah. The podcast, I'm pretty sure, has evolved in ways you did not think it was going to evolve right. at that point. Well, who else is? Uh, I think we should be concerned, not not uh, not wake up and get nervous concerned. Other than thinking, are we on? Are we going in the right direction? Are we on the right track? I think if you love something, then you can other people can learn to love something too because you shared your love of something so they can look at that thing a different way and think differently about it and it, their lives become more enriched because of it. And that's kind of what I said earlier is that whatever you do really well, give it out to the world because the world will be better off for it and everybody does something really well and they should identify that as quickly as possible so that the world can be better off for it. And you'll be better off for everybody else doing the same thing. I haven't been more happier than I have in my entire life than I have been in the last three years focusing on this. I made a big change, and I've done a lot to help Kyle and never asked for anything on it. I just, for me, I want to know that everything that I've touched and everyone I've consulted with, I've helped them be better, and I've helped the hobby be better for the collector. And I try to do that in everything that I do. Like when I work with some of these bigger companies, I'm in there fighting to make sure they do the right thing for the collector. And I think we need more of that. You do, I appreciate you. Thank and, you. And yeah, Mike, you know, I, Mike tells a story, and one of the things I always, I've told the story before is I always wanted, in a, sense, to, in a sense, to get into cataloging because collecting kit, when I was collecting, I began in the mid 70s, and it was a 62 master set I was doing. Card number 318 is in the checklist, this action card 8. What the bleep is an action card 8? It's Mickey Mantle in action. Why isn't anybody calling that card a Mickey Mantle card? Why is all the checklists saying action card eight? And I realized that that's how rudimentary we were using the checklist. Let's put the people's names in. But it wasn't being done, you know. Back in the day. Back in the day. And it's so simple to have everybody's name. The, the T206. It's simple after somebody does it. Okay? Always. The T206 sets just have last names. I know I, I missed a couple, I'm sure, when I put them in, you know, your books. They don't have numbers either. No, you don't have, well, those we created because it made more sense for the database. Uh, but you don't have numbers. And you want to create, as Jim would say in the very first issue, chaos, uh, order out of chaos. Mm -hmm. But That's it, a legacy. That's, that's a legacy. Sure. And that was something where I just, as a catalog, and I'm still doing cataloging, and I still want to make it easier for people to do their work. I had somebody, when I started changing 
how COMC did actually what we we'll call the continuation, what we called continuation lines back in the day. I moved it to a different place, and, and I got an email from one of our biggest supporters. Why? And I said, because it's easier for me to read it. <laughs> I said, that's, that's personal. That makes my life easier. For, I don't know, and, and it's the same impact for everybody else, but I said it made my life easier. And it really did. I think it improved the product. But again, it makes, it makes more information to the public, and I'm a big fan of that. And then it doesn't mean I'm hyping anything. It's just that it, it's more informative. What's your legacy? My legacy is that I get along with you. Uh, my, my legacy is, is seriously it's the cards for kids I did in the 90s. It's the synagogue show, all the stuff I've done. It's a lot of the people who have come. There were several people who came up to me this weekend and said, as I, as I mentioned how much we appreciate the synagogue show, how much fun we've had at it. You know, uh, there were people who used to come to my monthly show that tells tells me how much they enjoyed that and because everybody I wanted everybody just to have a relaxing time. And you've put others first. Yes. For ever since I've known you. Yeah. That's a wonderful quality. A lot of intellectual firepower and yeah. in, in bringing your unique brain to yeah. these situations yeah. where you put things in a better you brought order out of chaos too, Rich, that's what I'm saying. Dr. Well, Beckett, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you, what do you, when you're gone, what do you want people to say about you? I'm going to have a thousand podcast episodes. And so that'll be, you know, not an autobiography, but there's enough stuff in there that people can know a little more than they would have without that. What was going on in the early days of collecting, in the early days of our company, and, and, and even recently. And I'm enjoying that. So it's a story that's still being told. And if I thought I'd done enough or said enough, I'd, I'd probably stop. And I'm not ready. I'm still enjoying interviewing it. So I don't need to necessarily retire from that. A lot of radio is long gone. If, you know, the, you know, if, unless somebody saved an air check, it's gone. And there's a lot of it gone. One thing about what we do is that as long as certain things are out there, it's eternal. That's what we're all doing. That's, you, know, you can say what you want, you think you want people to think, but people can evergreen they can go back to your 70s card show whenever and enjoy it and they can't think well that would he did that in in uh, 2022 that's not relevant anymore baloney you know it's your perspective and so that's going to be part of your legacy too well, ken you've done episodes uh, with herman that include things like discussing barbecues and farm animals and chickens <laughs> So I mean, that's kind of fun too. You know, you've gone pretty far-reaching in what you've what you've discussed on your podcast. Focus is not an ally <laughs> <laughs> on that show. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking about legacy, and I'm just over here like I'm completely small potatoes. But basically, I, you know, I just want people to enjoy it. I mean, we do a live stream on Mondays, and the, some of the most fun is the John's in there in the live chat that Steph has started popping into the live chat and Brad sometimes is in the live chat and you know we both I think I guess it shouldn't speak for her but I think we just do it is uh it's fun for us and that's why we do it it gives us something to talk you know it gives me somebody else to talk to cards about other than my wife and um you know we have a good group of of guys and gals that join us and they seem to enjoy it and you know I had a good time talking to them that's about all I can uh well for most pe people their legacy 
of what we're talking about is in third place. I mean, they basically have their family legacy, then they have their kind of their career legacy, and this is a hobby legacy. Now, for sem several of us, the career and hobby and even family can, can weave together. And that's, that's, that's powerful, but it's, it's daunting as well. You want to make the most of the, the years you have. Many side hustles in this hobby, isn't it? It's right. the greatest side hustle hobby in the world. I don't know if we have to stop now, because we're getting pretty close to 8.30. So Topps Bunt or no? No. <laughs> 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 but Patrick, instead of, instead of Topps Bunt, how about we talk about non-physical carts? Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, and that way, we'll, we can say that's an example of a you know, I mean, non-physical non-physical cards, yeah. not non-fungible tokens. Well, right. that yeah. can actually NFT is vault for tokens. Yes. It can be vault. So what's cards, the hobby anyway? Cards yeah. that you have, but you can't get your hands on them anytime soon. Yeah, that's what yeah. they're doing. That's a non-physical right? card in a sense. Everyone's, Everyone's doing it nowadays. Doing it. I have a, I wrestle with what the hobby is. Or what's a trading card? It's a piece of paper right. with an image on it. Is it? Does it have well, it's an, an NFT though. Is an NFT in a hobby if it's not a piece of cardboard with an image on it? No. No, it's not a tangible It's not a card. Yeah. It's a digital trading card. Yes. But it's not a card. It's a digital trading binary ones and zeros. It's, it's not a card. Can an intangible be an asset? That's really the question here, right? An idea can, right? It can. It's the concentric circles. You're defining the hobby as at the center is vintage baseball. And then we're going to expand a little bit to these other sports and newer cards. And then we're going to expand a little bit to memorabilia and autographs. But no, we're not going to expand to NFTs. Right. So it's just another concentric circle that's out there that's encompassing, that's trying to piggyback on the greatest hobby of all time. I've not always collected vintage cards. I mean, I've had I have everything. I mean, I have so much different stuff. The hobby was always, to me, cards and memorabilia, right? TCGs are a different hobby. They're cards. NFTs are a different hobby. Ticket stubs. Ticket stubs are I mean, they're memorabilia. memorabilia. Postcards. <laughs> postcards. See, postcards never got respect. Tickets never got respect. Publications never got respect. <laughs> you know? And now, with grading, all those things are, uh, you know... Tickets are coming. Consideration. Yeah, yeah, tickets are, are big right now. Well, when you go to an event anymore, you don't get physical tickets, so all of those became super collectible because you're not going to get In the past, all these collectibles started out being worthless. NFTs start out being insanely valuable, you know, and then the value is going to go down. If something needs to be, all these things were, were ephemeral. I did a report on this. Mark Cuban's given away an NFT to everybody who has a ticket to the Dallas Mavericks. I got them. They're, so they're stupid. Is it just a floating image or does it have a value where you get something special by it's using like it? It's like a board ape or something. To an eight-year-old child who's now experienced that as they grow up. <laughs> are, we, are we saying that... I have no perspective to this because I didn't grow up with a cell phone in my pocket. You're head of uh, Beckett Publishing in 2022. How do you wrestle with the question, what do we, what, what value do we put on these NFTs? Well, the problem is the cataloging thing that we talked about. Is, you know, I guess that we, we, we were antagonistic with the licensing entities, you know, over the years with the Major League Baseball and Players Association. But they really did a service. Every kid can be his own brand, that's a problem, because I don't know how to catalog right. the NFTs. I don't need to, 
I, don't, I have no semblance of order of thinking that I need this one, or here's the checklist of the ones I'm missing. I, I just think it's bragging rights. He's I had a phone. nice kid in Houston at a show explain NFTs to me as they, they create their own checklist from the producers, and they're like checking boxes. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, that's. I know, but anybody can be a producer. Anyone. Anyone. And so how, if you had a price guide or a you, publication you or some coverage, how would you producers. know which ones are legit? We had trouble with that. Yeah. <coughs> anyway. Well, and this is not, this is kind of related to that, but different. You know, this is actually a physical item, but you're not owning the physical item if you have a fractional card. I mean, that's at least a, but then you, you don't physically own the item. John, you've, you've, you're collectible. Is, are they still yeah. sponsored? Yes. Yeah. So you've done work for a fractional company. I own some fractional It's products. It's backed by, it's securitized. Mm -hmm. Where the NFTs are, right. you don't really own even a piece of the art. Yeah, I think the fractional market's a pretty cool thing in my opinion. Uh, you know, I would love to own a piece of a 52 mantle since I don't have my 52 mantle anymore. So I think that would be a nice thing to do. You know, if I had 10 shares in that, I mean, at least I could say, hey, I own this little bitty, you know, fraction of a, should Logan have bragging rights for cards he used to have? In other words, if you're going to show people your collection, is it okay for him to show a picture of the mantle that he used to have? If it was uh, graded, you'd have you, the serial number. Yep, you'd, yeah. you'd mm -hmm. say, that, that was mine. A lot of us do show pictures of our cards yes. because we keep them in the bank or whatever. Or even cards he used to have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He used to have this. I try not to go back in the background of stuff I used to have because I want it again it makes me feel like I want to go back and find it again so I try to like accept that it's gone in the background and I try to enjoy what I currently have in the, the possession now but like with my site like back 10 years ago I was like I want to put pictures of my whole collection on the internet so I can enjoy them from wherever I am and I can pull them up and great. show people be like this card I'm looking for the other one of this like kind of a cool sure, reference thing awesome. uh, a good bit of a hockey fan so uh, I've taken to uh, the previously mentioned EPAC but you know from, from a storage point as we're looking to move out it's kind of nice to say I can still buy a pack and I have something physical that I can sell but I've never touched it PSA set registry app that shows me every card that I Yep, that's what I have. And what I like about the registry is every... But where are those cards at? In my, in his house. In my house. Yeah, but some yeah. people can't don't have the room to store them at the house. So leaving them at the vault at Beckett. That's and where it ComSuit really comes in because then you have a picture front and back plan. of every card. I, I, card wrote, that's in I your wrote, wrote a story for Sports Collectors Daily. I spent the New Year's Day, this is before I went to work at ComC, going just going through a 68 Tops card set, which was the first one I collected as a kid actively just so I could see all the cards again. And I, you know, front and back scans, it was wonderful. I got to be eight years old and seven and eight years old again, and I didn't have to spend a penny. I'm gonna be throwing some more parties and stuff at my house. I'm thinking like, I really don't want my collection sitting yeah. around here. And I'm like, it might be better off somewhere else. And maybe I'll keep a couple of cards out on my shelf. And the thing you can do with this though is like, my cards are in that vault. I have the representation of it. But if I do want to sell it, I can sell the NFT to someone else. Now they own the card in the vault. Well, mm -hmm. I don't have to go to the bank to grab the card and then put it and ship right. it and do all that. And right? it works great. Vaults are great for people that are overseas as well. Mm -hmm. right? right? They can get a card shipped to a vault. No uh, tariffs or taxes or anything like that. And then they can sell it from there or eventually liberate it somehow. But they own the card. They just don't physically have it with them. Guys, thanks for coming.